every single room that you step into, you're going to be the only person that's representative of your, of your race. So you have to be more on point. You have to be more prepared. You have to bring value faster. And there isn't a lot of room from the slip ups from that perspective. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, so this is our hashtag one thing episode. Sangram and I discuss various topics that are applicable to you and our community, like personal development, trends in the marketplace, big wins, big mistakes, and more. Here we go. Sangram here. As you can see up there today, um, we're just continuing this conversation, passing the mic. Um, And uh, for the folks who have been here for the last two days, every morning, 9 a.m., we had a conversation on Monday with Nikki, um, with Tanisha yesterday, today with Morgan, uh, who has been on LinkedIn Live on podcast a couple of times. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, it's going to be Kwame, who's the president of Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Metro Atlanta. And then on Friday, Reggie Rivers, who is a former NFL player. So as you can see, what we're trying to do is really get across the spectrum conversations going. And the goal is really to be focused on what are the solutions, understanding what the problem is, and then really focusing on the solution. And that's why I know all of these people have been supportive and jumping on. So with that, I'm going to bring in my friend Morgan up. Morgan, how are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good, everybody. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, man. So, Morgan, if uh, people don't know you, I don't know. Uh, they probably have never seen us have a conversation or they're not in marketing or sales because you are all over, my friend. And I, I want to start with what I've started done both times, which is my opening statement. So I set the expectations straight uh, with everybody who's watching because this is not trying to be political. This is not trying to be anything. We're just really talking to professionals about how they have gone through their lives what challenges they have faced, what struggles they have seen, and what can we learn from that and what can the solutions can be. So here's my opening statement. I'm neither black nor white, if it's not apparent to people yet. I don't pretend to fully or even partially comprehend what it means to be an African-American. But I'm a person. I'm a human. I'm an entrepreneur and a community builder. So I believe it is my duty to understand what is going on and why. It is my duty to learn where my bias lies. I do got some biases and how to overcome them. It is my duty to be part of the solution and bring hope to the world where trust, safety, and care become common values for everyone. So I believe, in closing, I believe it is my duty to allow myself to learn, grow, and tell a different story of unity, love, and grace, not race, to my children and to my grandchildren, and hopefully for you, to your, your children, and to your grandchildren from years to come. So that's my opening statement to set the, uh, the conversation going. So, Morgan, welcome to the show. Ah, we're here, man. We're here. Happy to be here. <laughs> all right, so you have been all of a sudden, like, you know, in the last five years, let's just talk about your story. Like, you have become the face of the sales development teams across the board. You have done trainings. Uh, you have, you know, you and I have worked together at Terminus. We can very quickly share a little bit about that, um, how you get a job. 
um, in the sales world of, for, for someone who's African-American, what, what does it look like to be in a sales world? What is the, I don't know what the stats are in that. So I would love to learn that as you see it and as you hear it. And, and you're training like big mega companies as well as small startup companies. So you have been seeing this firsthand. I don't know how much you have talked about it in the past. And, and I'm learning for sure that I haven't talked or I haven't yeah, I've paid attention, but I haven't really talked about anything. So maybe there are some stats and figures as you share your bio, your your where you know your sales experience, and just telling, giving us the state of sales and in terms of portions of African Americans diversity in the sales arena. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> so I guess you know, where we're starting more so is like, where do I see everything right now according to diversity? I guess we could start there since yeah. there was a lot of questions there. Uh, so first and foremost, you know, everyone's in here. I see Lisa says she's from Chicago. Would love to hear where everyone's tuning in from. So if you could put where you're tuning in from, that would be awesome just to see kind of where everyone's at. Um, I'm from, I'm from Atlanta. So ATL born and raised, and it's been a very interesting experience because when I first came into SAS, it was no, it was like, no, yeah, there was no African-Americans on the entire sales team. and. I knew that going in and most, for the most part, I knew that was going to happen. I went to a private school where I was one of the only black people. So I had grown up with associating with a ton of different white people, a ton of different Asian people. So we, we, I've seen that before, however, I was one of the only black people. And so I don't know the exact stats. Someone in here may know it better than me, but I know it's extremely low of how many black people are represented in SAS sales. And even when I got into the speaking circuit, I was the only black speaker normally on the entire list. So I've always felt out of out of place. I've always felt like I've always been the only person. And that subconsciously normally takes a toll on you because you know every single room that you step into, you're going to be the only person that's representative of your, of your race. So you have to be more on point. You have to be more prepared. You have to bring value faster. And there isn't a lot of room from the slip ups from that perspective. So I've been carrying that weight ever since I've gotten into sales and ever since I've created content. And at the end of the day, everyone has certain unconscious biases that they, ha they have, whether they, they realize it or not. And I know when I walk in a room, a lot of that bias might be, ah, this person may not know what he's talking about. And that's, that's real. And so it's because of the low representation, you know, I was able to really understand how to correlate that to other people who were African-Americans trying to get into the role. A lot of people got into it because they saw me creating that content across the board. And so, yeah, it's, 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 I don't talk about it a lot, but it is definitely a struggle knowing every single room you go into, you're the only person. Yeah. Now you have over, I think, I believe hundred thousand or so followers on LinkedIn. Uh, you are the top voice by LinkedIn. It was it for the last couple of years or was it definitely back, for, back, 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 right? For the three yeah. 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 If, if you're not following as, as people are joining in from Naptown, uh, just giving highs to like, you know, Lisa's talking about like women of color artists. I'm all about color and fashion. We're talking about Brad, who's from Naptown. Kia, thanks for joining in. Uh, Kia has been here for a few of these. Uh, Teresa, I'm really excited for you joining as well. So it's, it's really interesting. We have people from, from all over the place, we have people not only from America, but from from UK, uh, from Asia. So it's been really interesting how much this topic has been of a big topic and some of the questions and conversations that are going in. So if you have questions, 
just drop in there because I'm going to just pull in some of these questions and have direct conversation because uh, Morgan and I have done podcasts. I think we've done like maybe three or so. Yeah, we've done like two or three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. 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 Um, in the office. And I think once with live and, and once uh, one more time. Uh, yeah. And and we've talked about sales. We've talked about jumping into. And there's a lot that, that we can jump in. But today's conversation um, is to know the other side of Morgan, the things that you may not talked about or shared, but something that has been in your mind and heart and, yeah. and how you have deal, dealt with it, because there's a lot of young professionals who look up to you um, and say, well, Morgan does it. And I have a lot of people I would point like, hey, have you seen Morgan, how they do it? And one of the recommendations, as I said yesterday, were from Tanisha was like, go find mentors that are of a different gender or race. That was one of her big recommendations she gave. I'm like, that is super smart. And if you can't find, you can find mentors, you might be in a position to mentor somebody of a different gender or race. So it goes both ways and there's so much value to learn from it. I want to hear from you before we get into the recommendations part of it is, what is this whole situation with George Floyd meant to you? And how have you processed and dealt with it? So from a John's perspective? Yeah. Yeah, so... It's been really big. You know, I've been able to see different things in, in different lanes that, I'm, that I normally wouldn't see. And the biggest thing across the board is in finding a mentor is they can spotlight things on the path so that you don't trip over and you're not facing an obstacle. And that's been the biggest thing for me is that when you have a mentor, it allows you to skip some steps across the board. And also it allows for you to ask certain questions and have direct access to someone who's been there and done that before. And so, yeah, you may have, may know, Hey, like I'm good at doing these things, right. Which is great, but you want to make sure you can get someone else's perspective as well from that mentorship as you're going along. So for me, it's, it's meant a lot. You know, I, I see John as not only as a mentor, but as a friend as well. And I can have honest and candid conversations with him and we're willing to have empathy towards each other, especially in situations like these where that allows that to happen. And also as well, you know, John as a mentor, which is key is making sure a mentor has your back because even Mm -hmm. if you make a mistake, even if you do something that may be incorrect, it's about making sure that that person has your back and whatever you're doing and not just, Hey, I'm just mentoring a mentor. It's like, no, I, I advocate for this person, which is the upgrade of a mentor. That's more so someone who is sponsoring you saying, Hey, look, no, I, I, I'm invested into this person. And that's what John has done for me is that, he has invested into me and he's allowed me to see different paths and different avenues. And I've learned a lot from him, which allows for me to learn how to talk about business, learn how to go about things and learn a different way. And also he can learn from, understand from my perspective of like, hey, these are things that you should consider as well. And so we're able to have that relationship where we respect each other and we're able to take advice from each other. It doesn't matter about experience, it's just about the mutual respect. And I think if you're going to have a mentor-mentee relationship, it's about having mutual respect that you both can learn from each other and not just that you're learning from the mentor. Yeah. The giving back is huge. Who do you look up to, Morgan? I look up to Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, that's someone that, that I've always looked up to from, from day one. And uh, that's someone that I follow his content. And I follow his framework. Now, most people think he's, he's super aggressive and, you know, it is what it is. I'm not like that. I'm the opposite of that. But the thing is that, like, I just like the way that he goes about doing his business and advocating for his content. That's I'm a huge fan of that. So I look up to him a lot. And a lot of the stuff that I do is based on that. 
I think yeah. another person that I look up to is my dad. You know, my dad has given me such great advice and he's not only a, a mentor to me in some respects, he's also a good friend. And so we have really good and candid conversations on what I can do forward to see success. So in terms of who I look up to, those are the things that I focus on across the board. And I follow their I follow our frameworks. I follow their advice. I mean, there's other, there's other people as well, but those are the two main people that I look up to. Man, I, I love that. I love that. Like I think about my dad, uh, who's passed away, unfortunately, a few years ago. And it's, it's so interesting, like that, that his experience and what he taught me uh, stays with me every day uh, in yeah. some way, shape or form. I got his picture right there. And it, it reminds me of like, like who I am, uh, what I represent and, and be honest and truthful to that. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that, man. You, you mentioned, I think the day we talked, uh, this was like sometime in last week when I said, dude, I screwed up. I need your help. Can you come on the show? Like that was pretty much my conversation with you. And I appreciate you jumping on. And I've shared that in the last couple of conversations where I did. Hmm. And you said, you posted something, I think that very day, and I wrote it down. It says, if you want to suffocate racism, then it's time to overload the world with positivity. Let me just say that again for people who, who may be just joining in and capture the, the point there. And I want you to, to comment on that. Like, what does that mean specifically for people of all color? To, to join in that and address that. Uh, because some of that could be, well, wait a minute, this is not a 100% positive situation. And how do you overload the world with positive? So I think it coming from you, it matters a lot. It has a lot of voice and depth, and I want you to jump in it. So let me read that again. If you want to suffocate racism, then it's time to overlay, overload the world with positivity. Dive into that. So <clears throat> the opposite of being positive is being hateful or being spiteful. So most of the time, if you go look at the news, which is why I normally don't watch it, is it's all negative things that aren't helpful for our spirits as a whole. So when I say overload with positivity, it's essentially we need to make positivity louder. We need to shine our lights louder because at the, at the end of the day, we can't just promote the negativity, be like, oh, that's negative. That normally gets the most traction. Right. So when I say overload with positivity, I'm saying, hey, like, let's start talking about the positive experiences that we are having with each other from different races. Let's start talking about, hey, that was something wrong that you said. Here's how I'm, I'm going to help you. So it's being positive about shining the light for people, giving out advice, helping people along the way and shining lights where they need to be. And also at the same time, it's acknowledging to people, hey, look, that is completely wrong. And then let me give you this spin on it. Because if we're not positive in our mindsets and we're not trying to move forward to shine the lights on things that are, that are negative and that are hateful, then those things will continuously happen. And at this point, it's, it should not even happen. Like I don't, seeing negative comment and seeing something that's hateful needs to be completely stamped out so that we can overload it with positivity at the end of the day. And the more that we can start posting things that shine light, talk about positivity, talk about what's really happening and having candid conversations, the more it'll get people to be more open to having the conversation and moving people in the right direction as well. Yeah. What, give me examples of what, what can people do right now when we think positive? Because here's a, here's a common um, thing that I'm seeing right now. When somebody would say, well, 
somebody so said, and I've seen comments like this, like, well, it's not really as bad as it, it actually is portrayed right now. Like somebody would say just that and like, hey, we just need to love each other. And, and that's all we need to do. And somebody and I would see a comment right back at it. Well, not really. That hasn't really happened. And, and here's, that is why certain things are happening right now, why, why things are escalating in, in a way. How do you promote positivity um, in a right frame with empathy and respect to the situation and the people that are affected the most? Yeah. So what I'll say on this is that everyone across the board is in a very emotional state. And we know that. So it's it's not being like, hey, it's not that bad. Like, let's that's that's fairyland. That's not real. But also you can't be like, yo, like I'm down in the depths and I'm super negative. You can't be like that either. There is a ground that you can stand on. That's like, hey, this is what we need. This is this is acknowledging, hey, this is not a great situation. However, here are the action steps that we can move in a positive direction with. So you can still have positivity. You can still have confidence. You can still shine your light by acknowledging what's happening and being like, this is what we're going to do. The problem is, is that most people want to be a thought leader instead of an action leader. You can post, oh, yeah, everything's going to be fine at the end of the day, and it's going to be roses and sunshine. That's blinded optimism, and I don't believe in that. What I do believe in is tactical and actionable optimism that's positive. So it's posting, hey, this is what's going bad right now. However, these are the positive things I'm going to go do for the community. I'm going to go to a local black organization, and I'm going to go give my time and give, and give my skill set to someone. So that could be maybe you're really good at finances. Maybe you're an artist, right, and you can paint some stuff. Maybe that you're a good teacher and you can teach people different languages. I don't know everyone's skills in here, but consider that. So when I say overload with positivity, it's not the, it's a, the mindset, but it's positive actions. Are you taking positive actions? If you're not taking positive actions, then I, I don't know what you're doing right now because you're just a person just sitting on the sidelines and I don't want to associate myself with those people. So if you are going to post, this is what I'm going to do. I would expect you to do those things. Because otherwise, it's just a video and it's just a post. My yeah. biggest fear across the board is a lot of people last week, they posted, they did their black square, and then they're going to completely forget about what the purpose of what that was in the first place. So it's about being positive, yes, but it's not just saying everything's going to be fine and you just sit there and think everything's going to be fine and you hope and pray. It's everything is going to be fine. We are going to take action to make sure that it continues to be in a good direction where we it can do that way. It's all yeah. about being perspective and it's all about taking action, which I think, again, across the board, a lot of people just post post. That to me is probably the most single defining moment of everybody's time right now, um, which is why I keep telling myself when COVID happened, like, well, are we, what, what people are going to do the same, it, not exactly obviously the same from a human perspective, but I think people like for everybody getting impacted of is like, People could go down negative, like, well, this is bad, or they can do something with it. This is the same exact thing. Now, what advice are specifically you're giving to young African-American professionals who are coming into the job world? Because I really feel like that's where a lot of these things are, are people are going to walk into with, with some of these things. I, I see that, yeah, some organizations are going to start taking some steps. And we're going to talk. I want to I hear your feedback on, on that as well organization wise but i would love to hear what's what what do you what advice do you have for young african-american professionals coming into the work world right now and in this in this environment with this level of uproar and what kind of mindset they need to walk in 
what they need to do, and at the same time, what should their management leaders be aware of that they can help them with? In general, from professional or like just in sales? Well, let's talk about just professionals in general, but then we can dive into sales because I know that's where uh, we probably have more specifics. Yeah. So I was having a lot of conversations with people that are in the recruiting space that recruit for sales, technology jobs, et cetera. The number one thing to focus on is how to conduct an interview. That is one of the biggest misses across the board. And I'm speaking for myself. I didn't know really how to conduct an interview. I had to go look this up and I was super grateful that I had someone that could guide me through what to do, what to say and how to go about it. But there's a, again, there's a certain way that you can do it to make sure that you're set up in the right way. And it's asking certain questions. Hey, real quick, I'm just curious, you as an organization, like, have you all considered hiring a diverse and inclusion leader? Is that something that's currently on the radar? Like really asking them this question to see like, are, are they really going to make change? Again, everybody can talk a lot of stuff. And the reason the reason that I like social media, and some of you guys are, oh, I don't like social media. The reason I like it is because you guys are noticing it, it exposes people. Yeah. No, nothing, no, no, people haven't changed. Social media is just exposing people. Hmm. Racism has always been here. Systematic racism has always been here. It's nothing new. I can tell you about all the different stuff that I've dealt with in my life, that in college, high school, et cetera. It's nothing new. Like, I'm not like, oh man, I didn't know that. It's, but at the same time, it's social media is exposing it now. So that everyone is like, oh, okay, I'm starting to see it. Whether you had a bias towards it or whether you were like, oh, I didn't know or not. Now, you know, and it's in your face. So I'm going back to my point is if you were coming in as an African-American and coming into these organizations, you got to be asking the hard questions. Are you setting up a diversity and inclusion leader? I believe I talked to Scott Barker the other day. I think that every single organization should have a chief diversity officer should be standard at this point. If you are not considering one, if you haven't hired one, then I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, like, just straight up. Like, that should be something that should be happening because if you're serious about it, that should be a, a position you consider and have. I think also another top on that as well is that when you get to the interview, knowing what questions to ask at the end, this is what a lot of people miss. It doesn't matter if you're doing a sales role, a marketing role, et cetera. Asking questions at the end of the interview is something to highly consider. Because it, it, it puts it, them in a spot to figure out, do they really want you or not? And yeah. also, I believe in every interview, I am choosing you. You're not choosing me. I'm making the decision that this is the organization I work with. And I want to see if we have the same ethics and morals based on the conversation we're having. If we're not, there's a thousand other jobs I can go get. So, you know, see ya. That's really what people should be thinking about going into the marketplace is matching your morals to that, to that company as well, as best as you can with the questions you have. Also, as you move into this world as well, what I've also realized is our, we already talked about it, getting a mentor. Yeah. You know, getting a mentor at the end of the day that can help you, whether it's in that industry, whether it's in another industry, that person will again be able to shine the light for you. Another thing as well is once you get into that job, make sure that you're continuously asking questions and taking ac- action on those questions. One thing I did as a student that most people never did, and this is my secret, like you all got kids on this call. This is the secret to success in college. This is how I got straight A's, straight up. I went to the teacher's office hours. Huh. That's it. That's how I got straight A's. So what I did is I showed up to every single office hours for every single teacher. I had it blocked off on my calendar and we would just have conversations. Hmm. I got to know them. I got to know their family. I got to know why they got to teaching. And guess what happened? They gave me the study guide of exactly what to study to get straight A's on every test. It's because I took the time to invest 
into them. No one ever showed up to, to the to the to those teacher hours. No one ever did. I asked, "Hey, who else has shown up to these?" You're the only one. <laughs> cool. So we built a relationship, and they gave me more information than all the other students were out there studying. I was just building rapport with the person who teaches the class, yeah. and they gave me the blueprint for success. So as you coming as an African-American, most people don't ask other people questions to figure out why they're successful. A lot of people come into jobs and they have egos and they want to figure it out themselves. Get rid of the ego. If you want to read more about this, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Highly suggest you do that. But at the end of the day, look, I'm just going to ask people, yo, how did you do this? How are you, how are you so organized throughout your day? How did you get this leadership position? Yeah, people would tell you. People would tell. People, people want to have office hours with executives. I get. Like I met with Sangram. I met with the CEO at, at Termis multiple times. I met with the VP of Sales. I met with the VP of Product. I met with the CTO because I was genuinely curious to figure out what can I do and how can I have a leg up on everyone in this organization. I'm gonna go to the people who have more experience than me. And I'm gonna put time on their calendars, have a conversation. Most people are not willing to do that. So if you're willing to do that as an African American. You will stand out. You can do this as a regular rep, a regular person in the company. But I'm yeah. saying for if you're African-American, take the take the opportunity to ask questions, to people, so you can get a leg up. We're already at a deficit anyways from obviously biases. So I'm going to do everything I can to give myself some type of advantage and ask those questions. Morgan, I feel every time we have talked, I've always got this sense that you have been more intentional about whatever it is that you want to get out of your life, your job, your career, your, uh, your, you know, your business with John Barrows, all these things. I feel like you're just tremendously intentional about it. Um, and I wonder how much of that is something that that is a like, well, that's like that they do your point, like being secret, like the fact that you went to the office hours of your prepare, like when that that is a intentional thing. 99% of the people, regardless of race, gender, whatever, would be so afraid to do that, would t- do whatever to get out of that. And you actually took the moment to go there. What makes you so intentional? What, what, what drives you? What drives me is my anti-why. So have you heard of this before, Sangram? No. No. Okay. So how many of you guys have heard of the anti-why before in the comments? I mean, maybe someone has. Yeah. Maybe you guys haven't. And this is like a whole new concept I'm about to share with you. So this is it. So it goes to Robert's question here is like, you know, how did you do this? You know, how did you go and start asking these questions? And, why did you even go to these office hours, right? So I, yeah, four years ago, I was having a conversation with someone, millionaire in seven different industries, which is crazy. And we were talking and he was like, hey, you know, have you heard of the why before? I was like, yeah, Simon Sinek. Everybody knows the why, right? And he's like, do you know about the anti-why? I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? There's an anti-why? Like, <laughs> I've, never, I've never read on this. Like, what's happening? So he said, hey, look, I'm going to break this down to you. So it's the concept of what happens at the end of your life if you don't do what you're supposed to do and you're not intentional. So this is what goes through my head. It's just perspective. Is that what would happen if at the end of your life, your wife, your husband despised you, cheated on you all the time, your kids thought you were a complete loser and that you didn't bring any value to them in their relationship and that you were a terrible dad. Your friends all made fun of you because you never did what you were supposed to do. And you're living paycheck to paycheck when you should have been doing other things to build your skill. And your parents are completely disappointed in you. You didn't live up to what they grew you up to be. And you have your funeral and no one shows up. That's what I think about every single day. And so when you think about that, 
you realize you don't ever want that for your life. Yeah. And so every single day I wake up being like, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be at the end of my life. And those things happen It's I will, I will not allow it. And so I'm intentional at everything that I do because I don't ever want to have that. And so at the end of the day, if you can have something that's that strong and get you that emotional, like I am right now, then you're going to wake up and ask people questions. Like that's not scary to me. What's scary to me is explaining what I just explained to you. Yeah. Oh man. Like I got goosebumps as you talk through that and I'm, I'm reading uh, like people, people's comments over here. Um, Lisa, um, Amber, Robert, Brad, it's, it's fascinating when I, when I think about what you just said, it's almost like writing a eulogy for yourself. And like, what do, what do you, know, what do you, you want people to say in your eulogy? I've heard about that uh, as something, but anti-Y, like that's a new concept for me. I'm going to, let me write that down uh, because that, that is something, again, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on this, because I think you, you cross boundaries of all of these things. And this is just every, as a person, what it is. How do you, and this is one of the questions I had been asked people, like, what question do you want me to ask? And one of it was, how do you and how often do you feel people talk about racial challenges at work? Not at all, because it's an uncomfortable conversation. Think about it. We were just ta- we were just talking about, right? We look at these comments. We were just talking about office hours. Nobody went to the office hours. Nobody asked their executives for 15 minutes on just to talk about some things because they're afraid. It's uncomfortable. So no one's going to talk about racial stuff because it's uncomfortable conversation. It, it, is it almost like it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't help anybody get out of it, right? Like it's, it's like we, we stay in the same, unfortunately, different circles. And until somebody like you comes on board and said, you know, I'm going to break away. I'm going to, I'm going to try to defy the odds. I'm not trying to be shy around this thing. I need this because I'm anti-Y. I need to make sure that I have a eulogy at the end of my life and I need to have a, a purpose and intention behind it. It almost takes a different mindset and it becomes even harder when you're a minority in, in a conversation going. It's, it literally just gets harder and harder for you. But the reality is, if not this, how else are you going to be able to get out of it? Well, here's the thing. It's, it's the factor of someone else is going to do it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the person that's going to lead. I can't lead a conversation. I can't impact anyone. I'm just, it's just me, whatever. Someone else is going to do it. That's not how this works. Like at the end of the day, it's about every single person knowing that they could be an action leader at the end of the day. Leadership is not defined by a title. It's defined by your actions and how you carry yourself. So you don't have to have a VP title. You don't have to have a C level title to start these conversations. It only takes one person that you can change their mindset on because if you change that one person's mindset that person might be leader of a lot more people in a group that you don't even know about so it's it's about thinking that we have to have these certain titles these certain expectations on why we should have these conversations when at the end of the day it's the right thing to do doing the right thing is always the right thing is what i say so yeah if you focus in on that then you will have more change because your words your story could impact someone that's waiting for you to hear for them to hear it right now. And you're just not telling them. Yeah. And this reminds me, you probably are familiar with Clay Scroggins, um, who is uh, one of the pastors at the North Point uh, Church here. And he wrote a book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And I think you just reminded me of that book to go back and read it 
uh, because that that title itself reminds because we're always waiting for somebody to lead, and and what happens is that we always feel we are not in charge. And the reality is, as a co-founder, I'm not in charge. Guess what? <laughs> uh, you know, you talk to Tim, CEO, he's like he's gonna say, I'm like you know, yes, I'm in charge, but I'm not because there's board and there's customer. Like ultimately, we yeah. this vicious cycle. If you wait for somebody to come in and lead, uh, so I love and appreciate the point you just made. Is like, well, you have an opportunity to lead question is, are you going to take it or not? Yeah. I love that. Um, some of the comments, uh, and I'm glad, like, this is really interesting with StreamYard. They actually started to show all these comments right here. And uh, I love, like, some of these comments, like, uh, Kia, you're mentioning about, like, guess one of those debut subjects. People don't talk about it. Uh, one of the things that I do also get quite a bit is, like, all right, well, this is not an African-American problem, if you, if you want to think about it one way. It, it, so don't make it that they have to come up with solutions for it. It's a challenge that has been created uh, because of all the systemic things that you just talked about. So when you think about diversity, don't just put somebody just because they are, uh, are a person of color in that role because they're supposed to all of a sudden figure it out. Get somebody who actually, so I mean, I, I equate that to sales. Like, like for example, you're the whole John Barrows, the whole, your, your whole organization exists to yeah. go in organizations to help them be better salespeople. Yeah. Why? Because those organizations probably have a problem with having a, a sales thing. How is this any different that if organizations have this, shouldn't, there, shouldn't companies be starting to bring in experts and consultants who actually know what the heck it is and how to solve for it? Yeah, so the thing right now is, Everybody wants a quick fix. And we're like, all right, like, what do we need to do like right now to change it in next month? Yeah. This is an ongoing process. This isn't something that this is not Netflix. Like, you're not gonna just search on Netflix, like, oh, I found what I'm looking for. Like, that's it's not it. This isn't an Amazon. You're not gonna be able to buy something that's gonna solve it tomorrow. That's just facts. What it is, though, is an ongoing thing. This isn't, hey, last week it was the, the talk of the town. And now we're just going to post and it, like, it is what it is. No, this is, this is an ongoing thing. Like you're either about it or you're not. That's pretty much where I'm at with it. And I've, I've lost a lot of respect for some people. I've had some friendships that have, have gone in a different direction. And I've gained a lot more respect for a lot of people as well throughout this process. And it's really sad and it's highly emotional. And every single morning I wake up and I'm, I have a different emotion about it every single day. The thing with everything is it's continuous, mm. right? You think about, why are people great at sports? Why are people great at acting? Why are they great at sales? It's an ongoing skill development. The people right now, let's be real, that have possibly been furloughed, it's because they weren't ongoing with their development. They mm -hmm. got complacent. They were going through the motions. And this whole thing was the, the excuse for the organization to say, see you later. That's just facts. Anybody can dispute me on that, but that's real. A lot of people got let go because like, hey, we were probably going to let you go, but hey, now we're going to let you go because you've been going through the motions and you weren't developing yourself continuously. And so when we think about what should we be doing, it's ongoing. Getting a chief di diversity inclusion officer. If that's not happening and that's not on the radar, that's the first step because that person will be able to guide you in the right direction and be able to take that responsibility. Having people in your organization that are African-Americans write the job description Hmm. Right, because 
Think about, think about, look at, think about that, right? And so, like, these are things just to think about. However, where it really comes down to is the youth. The youth is what's going to change this because most people, what's happening is that they're like, oh man, people, this is how they always been. People are taught racism. They're not born or they're not born with it. No one's born like, yo, I'm a racist. Like, oh, this is a racist baby. Here you go. It's like, that doesn't happen. You are, you are taught these things. We are the product of our childhood. I don't know the exact stat on it, but however, the, the makeup of you as a person, a large percent of it is your childhood. What did you go through? And that, that then develops you as a human. And that's why people have therapists. That's why they have a lot of psychological conversations. That's why we have faith, right? Because you go through so much as, as a child, you see certain things and you grow up into those things while you were in your childhood. And so as I'm going back to it, the, the youth is where we should be focusing on right now, like going to the schools, doing programs and things of that nature. What I will say, though, is if you're looking to hire more people that are diverse, you have to be proactive. If you think about anything in life, you, you, nothing just comes to you. No one has come to my door and be like, hey, Morgan, here's an opportunity. It's because I've been proactive and I sought those things out for me to, at the end of the day, get the results that I'm looking for. So the way to bring more diversity African-Americans into the organizations, you have to be proactive. Go to the HBCUs. Hmm. Go to the colleges, organizations that are the black organizations. Go to the high school that's 90% African-Americans. A lot of people aren't willing to do that because it's uncomfortable. Hmm. It's uncomfortable to do that because it's, oh, wait, oh, these, this is not my people. Yeah. However, we do that on a daily basis. Like, I got to go talk to people that are in my race all the time. It's a day-to-day thing for me. I could, I could be like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I got through it because obviously outside of the comfort zone is where you see growth. And yeah. so where it really comes down to is being proactive. Last thing I'll add on this is when you go out proactively and you're like, Morgan, I want to do something like this. you got to show them the office. You know, I remember at Terminus when with Lucas, we brought in a group of African-Americans, about 20 people. And we had given the tour of the office. We showed them how we made cold calls. We showed them how we did emails. And then we did a Q&A with them and we gave them exposure to the industry. Most people don't have exposure as well. And I, I didn't until I went to an event. But that's also something we have to consider. Yeah. You, there's just so much, so much in here, especially the two things you talk about, even job description. Uh, we talk about even like when you talk about even gender, like a lot of times when you say, hey, we want somebody to kind of muscle through this. Well, uh, you know, not every woman is going to apply for that if, if you're, you're every single one. So there's a, a lot to the job description, how you write it. But I never thought about it, even uh, between a normal, a, a, a casual job description you might consider, but people are reading on the other side, might look at that, well, I'm not sure this is a job for me or not. Yeah. That's fantastic, man. All right. Well, I'm, there's a lot of great, incredible comments, and you can see this as well. Um, I want to close with this question, and then I will uh, share the two, two big takeaways for me. Uh, uh, Brad said this around this, like, well, I did have a question, and it was about your faith. And how, has, how does your faith play into these things? So I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is a Sunday school teacher. And it's what keeps me level during this time. There's just a lot that's going on. Um, mentally, I've been off for sure because these are things that I've never experienced before. So, you know, to have something to lean on, such as prayer, writing things out. You know, me and my dad, we do devotionals like every other week because I try to do everything I can 
to make sure that I'm staying focused and I'm level-headed. It's very hard right now to do that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm consistent as, as I can be. I'm not saying that I'm perfect and I'm the best at it. However, I know by reading scripture, praying is something that I do consistently and every morning, like I did it this morning, just to get myself like, yo, what's going on? Like, tell me what's happening. But it really is just, just, a, just a talk. Like it's, I see it more like me versus me. And, you know, I have someone there to like help me at the end of the day. And that's more so how faith plays into things like this. However, I will say this. It's not just about praying and doing nothing. This is because then that's just hoping, praying like, oh, I hope things get better and not taking action. That's where people miss out on this is that, yes, pray. Yes. Ask for guidance. Write things down. You know, there's obviously the if you want to go on a different route, the secret, right, by like, hey, visualizing it. Those are all great things. But again, it doesn't matter if you're not taking action. So that's one thing I would add to that is that, yeah, I do all these things. However, there's action and execution involved in this as well. I love that, man. I appreciate it. As a believer myself, uh, I know for me, that's a big part of my life. And I don't know how you do it without, without having faith or having, going through prayers and having those fellowship and conversations. It's extremely hard. So it's tons of big ideas from here. And I'll, I'll recap every day on LinkedIn. And I, I do sincerely hope that this is one part of the action for me. And, and it's important that everybody recognizes that we learn from this and do something like that's really big. So number one, don't be just a thought leader, be an action leader. If anything, be an action leader. So I think I take that as a big, like not just do this series and we're done. Uh, we had Tanisha from Terminus yesterday and she was straight up like, look, at, look at the diversity in our own organization. We don't have it. I mean, that's just true, right? Right now. And we're in Atlanta. It's not like we are lacking. We have to go and search for something that's just totally outside of our uh, zip code. Like, no, this is diversity is available and it exists in Atlanta. We're extremely proud of that. But still, as a company, I think we could do more and we need to do more. So this was like a, a moment of like, oh, my God, like this is no longer a nice, you know, well, we should think about it. No, we need to do it. Um, so it's really action leader. And it, it has to be done um, on an ongoing basis, as you said, not a day, not a week, not a month or a program that is there for a couple of days, a couple of weeks while the topic is hot. But how do we turn this into a, a business process that is important for us to grow, that's important to hire the right people because your other customers are also like, it's not even representative of our city. It's not representative of our culture. It's not representative of our customers. So I think in many ways, we're losing um, an edge in the marketplace and just make it a business conversation that we need to have on a regular basis. So. With that being said, dude, any final words as we close in? I'm, I think at the end of the day, it really is, you know, we got a lot of people in here commenting and giving insights is to be willing to have the conversations that are uncomfortable and be willing to do things that are uncomfortable. That's, that's my only ask right now. Because again, right now, it's comfortable to talk about these things because everybody's talking about them. What's going to happen when it's not? And so you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and continuously and make it ongoing. I'm gone. I hear you. And for everybody listening, thank you for joining in. Uh, tomorrow at 9 a.m., we're going to have Kwame, uh, who's, who is the CEO of Big Brothers and Big Sisters right here in town uh, from Metro Atlanta. And we're going to talk about inner city and what happens there and how we can actually, how they are as an organization trying to impact the inner city kids and stuff. And I think you might be interested um, in that conversation as well, Morgan. 
um, and, and change how do we change at that level so that by the time you get to it, to your point, this shouldn't be this shouldn't be the biggest issue. They need to know how to address this, how to go into it. So I'm excited to have that conversation as well. So again, thanks everybody for joining. Morgan, thank you for joining me again, man, and taking time out of your schedule. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Um, take care. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.